0: Today, our study through 1 Samuel, we're in 1 Samuel 18, just looking at the first five verses, this is the word of the Lord. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him. in the sight of Saul's servants. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your uh, holy word that speaks so uh, clearly and uh, so with such grace to every area of our lives. And Lord, uh, we long to be more and more shaped by the truth of the gospel, the truth of who you are. And uh, so we pray that you would uh, take this ancient text and apply it into our lives, into our community, and uh, lead us to our Savior, Jesus, that we might know his love more deeply and and, uh, offer him our obedience um, uh, with all of our heart. And so we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, our topic uh, today is friendship, uh, which I think is a fascinating topic. It's definitely, I think, underappreciated in our uh, culture. And actually, I just recently reconnected with uh, a friend, a childhood friend. His name was Ali, who was my best friend from uh, third to fifth grade, just for three years. He was my best friend. I loved Ali. And uh, he ended up not being a friend because I was a friend with another kid that he didn't like. So he wasn't my friend anymore. And so we reconnected. We hadn't talked in like 20 years. We talked on the phone for like an hour. I was sitting in my car in the driveway talking to him for like an hour. And then we got together a couple times. And he's so funny. I mean, third to fifth grade, we're like 10 years old. And he's like, bro, I got your back. You know, I'm like, I haven't talked to you in 20 years. He's like, you're one of my people. And it's amazing. After all those years, such a deep and profound bond that is uh, created through friendship. And, uh, but friendship is a very interesting topic in the church uh, because I, I can't tell you how many people who talk to me and say when they want to get plugged into a church, they're saying, the thing that I'm really looking for is I want a, some community in my life. And the word community can mean a lot of different things, but I think for most people what they mean is, well, I'd really like to find a few really deep, close, lasting Friendships. And the problem with that is that almost by definition, friendship is in conflict with community. Friendship's in conflict with community. And C.S. Lewis puts it this way. This is what he says. Friendship is essentially between individuals. The moment two men are friends, they have in some degree drawn apart together from the herd, the pack or herd, the community may even dislike or distrust it. Its leaders very often do. Headmasters and headmistresses and heads of religious communities, colonels and ship's captains can feel uneasy when close and strong friendships arise between the little knots of their subjects. And we know that. You know, it's very, if friendships form in a church, what do we almost immediately call them? Clicks. Lewis would agree that friendship is contrary to community. And so we have to ask the question as a church, what are we about? Are we about friendship or are we about community? Well, I, I think we have to understand that they're both important, but community and friendship are different. And actually, in the ancient world, the in Greek had different words for different kinds of love. You know, friendship was uh, uh, Philista, or uh, Philia, sorry. Friendship was Philia, and it, romance was Eros. And then community life in the church was agape, was the the unconditional love that God has for all his people and the unconditional love that we have for each other. It's kind of a duty that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ that we're going to serve and care for one another. But what we see in this passage is the friendship between David and Jonathan that formed. And this friendship was not open to everyone. You see the individual quality of it. Verse 1 says... As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Friendship is a great gift when it forms. And so today, what I'd like to do is draw out a few observations from this passage, but the nature of friendship, I think friendship is a skill yeah, being a good friend, making friends is a skill, and so I'd like to pour out, point out four insights for us today from uh, First from Samuel 18. Uh, for our reflection today, this is what they are, is that first, friendship is a form of love, second, friendship is built on affinity, third, friendship is covenantal, and fourth, friendship is learned from Jesus. Four insights this morning that friendship is a form of love, it's built on affinity, it's covenantal, and friendship is learned from Jesus. And I hope there's some practical insights for us as a community this morning. So four insights on friendship. The first is is that friendship is a form of love. Friendship's a form of love. And you'll notice how that, that passage begins. I already read that verse one. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit. To the soul of David. Now, what's happening here is in the last chapter, uh, David had just fought Goliath. And so Saul the king had said, Whose son is the young man who just killed Goliath? And so David appears before him. He says, I'm the son of Jesse. And it, right when he appears before the king, after he's won this victory, it says that Jonathan's heart, you know, soul was knit to him. And, uh, and this passage is powerful because it communicates the deep emotional bond. That is formed between Jonathan and David, and those great words, their souls were knit together. Now, part of the evidence that our 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 culture uh, does not really understand and appreciate friendship is because many people, when they read this passage, maybe some of you, when I read it, you thought, "Wow." Jonathan and, and David's souls were knit together. It sounds very intimate. Are these are Jonathan and uh, David gay? This is a gay relationship. And uh, many commentators have read that and thought that. And uh, that's, uh, And the reason our culture thinks that is because we have sexualized all love. Ever since Freud, we think deep down our affections and loves are ultimately sexual, that what's really going on in so many parts of life is really erotic love. Now, that's clearly not the case in this passage. Not only is there not a shred of mention of romantic connection, the Old Testament uh, speaks clearly against homosexuality, and it would have not been thinkable for the original audience to have think that that's the dynamic that is happening in this, in this verse. And actually, Anthony Esselin has pointed out that by forbidding homosexuality, the Bible was creating the opportunity for friendship. I think this is an interesting insight. This is what he says. The stigma against sodomy cleared away ample space for an emotionally powerful friendship that did not involve sexual intercourse, exactly as the stigma against incest allows for the physical and emotional freedom of a family, So when a culture says that incest is wrong, it allows a brother and sister to be friends and to hug each other and to know each other and to love one another. It creates space for friendship. We don't have a place for this kind of love, that friendship is a unique form of love that should be honored and valued and esteemed. And what this also means that if you want to have friends, you need to love people. And what does Jonathan teach us about the kind of love that creates friendship? Well, Uh, two, two things I want to point out. Okay, the first thing that we see is that Jonathan respected David. Jonathan respected David. And he hears David speaking. David's just won a battle against Goliath. And it says that his heart was then knit to him. People want to feel respected. When people feel respected, they feel secure. They feel open. They feel comfortable. And I'll tell you, you know, when people make off-handed comments that, you know, are kind of cutting, that disrespect other people, and they say, well, I'm just sharing my opinion, or I'm just joking, you can underestimate the sabotage that's happening to relationships. Because what happens in friendships, you want to be at ease with your friends. You want to let your guard down and be like, you know, I don't have to have my guard up. And when, and subtle comments like that Put people on guard and they say, you know, in my free, restful time, I don't want my guard up. And so I don't want to be around that. And uh, if, if you, uh, you have to communicate respect to people if you want them to want to be around you. And you might be confusing because you might see friends who are teasing one another and arguing with one another. And you say, oh, well, that's how you be friends. But what's underneath the teasing and the arguing is a deep, profound sense of respect for one another that undergirds that. And whenever that's lost, the teasing and the arguing doesn't work, okay? So the first thing we see is that Jonathan uh, respected David. The second thing that we see is that Jonathan was generous to David. Verse 4, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. He gives David his possessions. I'll just tell you, being generous draws people to you. It creates bonds. And I don't think it's just being generous with possessions. That's true. You know, your money or your possessions. I think being generous with your time. Uh, And, you know, there is a certain wastefulness to friendship. That's how friendship works. Like, you don't need friendship to live. You know, a family is kind of like, you know, tends to be more about like survival. We're going to help one another. We need this or a church. And friendship is like, I, you can live and you can survive without it. It's just kind of a wastefulness to say, I'm just enjoying this time together. And if you're constantly calculating, calculating about money or your possessions, cal- calculating about your time and your own productivity, I have other things that I need to do, you're sacrificing friendship. So you, you got to be aware of that. And so Jonathan respected David and was generous with him. Friendship comes from simply being loving. And if you're not loving, you'll have less friends. If you talk about yourself all the time, you'll have less friends. If you only share your opinions and are not interested in other people's opinions or even respecting other people's opinions and learning from other people's opinions, you will have less friends. Friendship is a form of love that our culture is not particularly good at, okay? Now, I should say that being loving, showing respect, being generous, unfortunately, is not enough for friendship. It's a necessary but not sufficient condition for friendship. There's something else that creates uh, friendship, and that's our second point in this passage, is that friendship is built on an affinity. Friendship's built on affinity, You need to have something in common with the people that you're friends with. A common passion, a common fascination, a common project that you're working on. And in this case, David is basically a second Jonathan. You know, Jonathan takes his robe and his sword and everything, and he clothes David. It's like, oh, David looks like Jonathan now. He's like a second Jonathan. And uh, David and Jonathan have done similar things. Jonathan, earlier in 1 Samuel, he went on this mission by himself to take on this garrison of Philistines and fights against him. And he's courageous, and he wins the victories as the the underdog, and then David does the same thing. He's the underdog against Goliath, and he goes out by himself and he kills Goliath. And so they're these uh, courageous warriors, faithful to God, and they've been serving alongside one another in the military. And it's, this, uh, it's in this understanding of each other that a deep bond is formed. And the commentator, Robert Bergen, he puts it this way. This was understandable because David and Jonathan had much in common They were both courageous and capable young warriors who possessed profound faith in the Lord. Both had initiated faith-motivated attacks against militarily superior Philistines that had resulted in great victories for Israel. So affinity means there's some similarity that builds a bridge or builds a bond. And so just practically speaking, that means the more things that you are interested in, fascinated with, love, the more possibility you will have for friendship. And, uh, and in the intro, you know, I quoted um, C.S. Lewis. And uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a famous essay on friendship. And it's in his book, The Four Loves. And it's a masterpiece. If you want something to do this afternoon, you go read C.S. Lewis on, on friendship. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis uh, does is explain the difference between friendship and falling in love. He said they're very different kinds of love. This is what he says. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. You know, when you're falling in love or something, you say, I was thinking about you all day, you know? I just couldn't get my mind off you. Now, okay, then he says, friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. You know, if you said that to your friend, I was thinking about you all day, they'd be like, whoa, (laughs) chill out, all right? I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that you've been thinking about me all day, okay? Lovers are normally face-to-face absorbed in each other. Friends, side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. And you see what he says, friendship is formed around something other than the two people. And actually, uh, Lewis goes on to say that throughout history, men in particular would go on hunts. And so they've got to get together and they've got to talk about their strategy for the hunt. And they've got to get the weapons together. How are we going to do the hunt? And then they go on the hunt. And then after the hunt, they've got to talk about how did the hunt go? What, what should we do differently next time? And he says there's all this talking and planning and debating that's going on, and this is the matrix for friendship? It's that activity that that creates friendship. And uh, uh, one of my uh, oldest friends, Tyson Smith, is a, a deacon in our church. And Tyson and I met in college, and we met in a badminton class, and uh, up at Western. And in this class, uh, there was one guy that was clearly the best in the class. Actually, he went on to play in the NFL. He's, he beat everyone in the class, and then I was second, and then Tyson was third. <laughs> If he could come up here, he'd probably reverse the order. But he wanted to beat me so bad. And competition is a matrix for friendship. The, you know, the, the competition, we'd play tennis together. He'd kick my butt in tennis. And we'd play music together. We played music. They're common interests that create the bond for friendship. And this could be food. It could be board games or hiking or talking about theology. It could be a million different things. The more things you love, the more chances there are for friendship. And I'll tell you, for those of you who are young people, if you're a teenager, if you're a high schooler, a middle schooler, one of the saddest things of being in middle school or high school is when you think there's some in-group and these popular people, and you say, I want to be friends with them so bad, but you might not even like them. You might have nothing in common with them, and there might be someone right next to you all the time that actually you have a lot of shared common interests with that you could have a great friendship with and you don't even see them. And the sooner you figure that out, that your true friend is the person who likes the things that you like, you will be much more happier for it. Who are those people? And Lewis gives a warning. He says, if you're looking for friends, you say, I just want more friends, you will tend to not find them. If you have interests or passions or projects, you will find friends along the way. This is how he says it. You will not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian by staring in his eyes as if he were your mistress. Better fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. This is great advice. And even in this passage, Jonathan and David were serving alongside each other. Uh, They had a common mission. Uh, Verse 5, it says, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. They had a common mission. And that's what brought them together. And I've, I've seen that throughout my life in the church, doing ministry with people. Having, this is a project that we're going to work on. The closest friends come from doing that work together. Say, so we've got something we need to work on. I have to give myself. You go through hardships and fears together. You enjoy successes together. And I'll say that Christianity is an enormous thing that we all have in common. I mean, it's a huge thing. A shared passion for Christ. Discussion about the Bible. Ministry and service together. There is tremendous opportunity for friendship here as we give ourselves to those things. And so, first, friendship is a form of love. In this passage, we see particularly respect and generosity. And second, friendship is built on an affinity. It's a common passions and interests and common loves and a common mission. But I'll tell you, uh, C.S. Lewis's views on friendship have been criticized, particularly recently, because Lewis said that friendship is entirely voluntary. You are not obligated to be a friend. He says, I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. You just get to choose if you want to be a friend. You have no obligation to it. And in fact, Lewis's most famous friendship was with J.R.R. Tolkien, who uh, they had a small uh, reading group called the Inklings that met for, I think, about a decade. And Lewis helped Tolkien write uh, The the Lord of the Rings. He was the one who pushed him along. He said, you got to finish this project. This is a really good book. Uh, But their friendship fractured. And I think people thought they were lifelong friends. And they really, uh, they went their separate ways. Tolkien was critical of Lewis. Lewis was a bachelor. Tolkien had a family. They just had different lives. And I think something that Lewis misses is something we see in this passage between David and Jonathan. And that's a third point is that friendship is covenantal. Friendship is covenantal. Jonathan and David are both warriors, and they have a lot in common, but they don't let their loyalty to one another remain kind of at the flimsy level of affinity. You see what it says there in verse three? Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And a covenant is a more formal relationship. You know, marriage is a covenant. It's a a relationship that's built on promises. And I think this is valuable because sometimes when affinity forms a friendship, you can feel some pressure to be like, you know, I got to like kind of perform. I got to be interesting enough for this person to stay friends with me. I mean, if it's just voluntary, what if they get bored and they want a different friend? And I, you know, even I've had people say to me, like, are you excited to meet C.S. Lewis when you go to heaven? And I have, I don't think, I don't necessarily know that I'll get to talk to C.S. Lewis when I get to heaven. But even if I did, I'm always like, I'm afraid I would bore him. Like, he's so interesting and witty and he's read all these books. I'm not smart enough. I wouldn't know what to say to C.S. Lewis. It's too much pressure. And what a gift to have a friendship where you know there is loyalty and commitment. And actually, there's a book written a few years ago called uh, *Spiritual Friendship* by Wes Hill. Wes Hill calls himself a, a celibate gay Christian, and the book is about you know, if you're a Christian who's going to be single your whole life, then friendship is really important. You need friends in your lives to protect you against loneliness. And uh, but he has an interesting, uh, and I would say you know, there are a lot of things in that book that aren't. If you go read that book, there are a lot of things that are not helpful. But he has an inter- interesting discussion critiquing C.S. Lewis, and he says that their medieval traditions were friends, like in monasteries, would actually take vows of loyalty to one another. And it was basically like they're saying, You're going to become my brother. Like you're like family to me now. And uh, something like that is happening in this passage. David and Jonathan are becoming family to one another. You know, Jonathan takes all his clothes that is like his inheritance, his robe and his sword, and he puts it on David. And is basically saying, you are now a brother in my house. You're a brother in my house. I'm going to treat you that way. And though I think that West Hill goes too far to imagine that you can replace marriage with friendship, I don't think that works I do think loyalty is a beautiful virtue because everyone is flawed and has quirks. Everyone's going to frustrate you at times. And oftentimes you just need to decide, I'm going to be friends with this person. Love covers a multitude of sins. And don't we want that same thing in our lives? We know all of our quirks and things that are frustrating about us. And I remember my wife and I, uh, we went away for a weekend Uh, several years ago, and we were praying through writing a mission statement for our lives. And one of the things I really felt like the Lord impressed on me is one of the parts of that mission statement, be a loyal friend. And I think it's at this point that we really see how friendship and our faith converge. Because the world can understand that friendship is a form of love, that you should respect people, you should be generous. They can understand that, that friendship involves affinity. You know, you've got to find people who have things in common with you. But a deeper friendship is covenantal. It has a bond of loyalty to it. And that is what uh, really leads to our final point, that friendship is learned from Jesus. Friendship is ultimately learned from Jesus. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you'll know that our Lord has a a famous saying that he said to his disciples where he said, "'No longer do I call you servants, "'for a servant does not know what his master is doing, "'but I have called you friends. "'For all things that I heard from my Father "'I have made known to you.'" And so being a Christian means that you've been befriended by Jesus. It's an incredible statement. He's the master of friendship. And so he's the best person to learn the skill of friendship from. And it's interesting, you know, C.S. Lewis says that there's no obligations in friendships. You don't have to be anyone's friend. You choose who is going to be your friends. And it's not like the love of, you know, in your family, you got to love your family. The people in your church, you got to love your church. Your neighbors, you're commanded to love your neighbors. Uh, And I think sometimes we think that Jesus' love for us is kind of that vanilla love, like, you know, he has to love everyone. And it's true, the Bible does say that Jesus loves the world. But that's not the way that Jesus talked to his disciples. He says to his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. And he didn't have to do it. I choose you as my friend. It was voluntarily, Jesus chose you. And you know, who's more loving than Jesus? Who's more generous than Jesus? What act of affinity has ever happened in the history of the world than Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh to become like us, to be one of us, to enter into a culture and to know us and to be close to us. And as Jonathan clothed David with his own clothes and said, you are such a close friend to me, you are now my brother. You are a son in my father's house. This is precisely what Christ has done for us. Whoever has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ, has been clothed in Jesus' righteousness, has been chosen as his friend, and he has covenanted with us And he says that we are forever now his brothers. We are sons in his father's house with him. That's what Jesus says. He is the model. The center of our faith is the friendship of Jesus. In Christ, we have friendship. And in Christ, we learn friendship. And may that great friendship spill over into our church, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our hobbies. That we might know how to be friends with all kinds of people. Because Christ has been a friend to us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, what a wonder that the Son of God would know and see each one of us and in a unique way uh, choose and say, uh, you will be my friend. You will be a son in my Father's house with me. You will be my brother. Lord, uh, we're filled with wonder. And uh, Lord, you know how deeply we long to be loved and known. And so we pray that our community, as we, as we uh, love one another with the love that you've shown us, would also be a place where many friendships are formed. Friends are a gift from you, Father. And so we pray that you would abundantly bless us with those gifts in this community.